I'm going to ask that we bow our heads in prayer, every head bowed and every eye closed in prayer. In this great audience at Texas Tech University here in West Texas, there are thousands of people gathered with burdens and problems and difficulties similar to that which Velma Spencer spoke about a moment ago. Ill health, financial problems, some of you facing death in the family, others of you facing difficulty in your schoolwork here at the university, so many uncertainties and troubles and trials. Job said, man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. And indeed, we are born that way. From the day we are born till the day we die, we have our joys and our pleasures, but we also have our sorrows and our tears. And finally, it all ends at death. What is death and what is life? These are some of the things I want to touch on tonight in my message. And I want you to listen quietly and reverently because I don't believe that you're here tonight by accident. You might think you are, but I believe you're here in the providence of God. And I think before the foundation of the world was ever laid, God saw you here in this stadium on this night, face to face with eternity and all that is involved in the decision you will have to make tonight. Our Father, we pray tonight that those whose hearts thou hast prepared will respond to the call of the gospel. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as you have already heard, we are coming to you from Texas, you that are watching by television. This is West Texas. And I think in many ways, it's the best part of Texas. I said in many ways. Now, of course, we need your financial help. These telecasts are going to cost around a million dollars. And we don't have that kind of money to spend on television right now. And we're depending on you sending your contributions to help make this possible. I hope you'll make them this year and during this series as generous as you possibly can. We need your help. Now I want you to turn with me to the second chapter of Luke's Gospel. The second chapter of Luke's Gospel. Because I want to speak tonight on angels, the Christmas angels especially. And in the second chapter, the eighth verse, those familiar, that familiar passage that almost all of you knows by heart. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, what? The angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were afraid. And it says they were very afraid. And the angel of the Lord said, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And I want to show you how in these first two chapters of Luke's Gospel, how many times in the important events 
that angels appeared. For example, to Zechariah, who was a priest, and there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, what? Fear not. Time after time, when angels appeared to people in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the angel would say, fear not. And then we turn over to the 19th verse, and this angel identifies himself. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto you and to show you glad things. And then we turn a couple pages over and we find the angel again, this time appearing unto Mary, the mother of our Lord. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, the same angel, was sent from God unto a city in Galilee named Nazareth. And a virgin was engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came into her and said, Hail, thou that art most favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. We make too little of Mary. Mary was probably a teenage girl, not more than 15 or 16 years of age, engaged to be married, had never known a man. And the angel said, you're the most favored among all women. And the angel said unto her, fear not, Mary, because you see, Mary was afraid when she saw the angel. But the angel said again, Fear not, for thou hast found favor with God. And tonight, I want to answer the question, Are there angels? I've just finished writing a book on angels. It's in all the bookstores right now all across America. You can buy it right now. And I have spent this past year writing this book and studying this subject of angels, and I can only touch on it tonight because there's so much to say in the Bible about angels. We have whole bookshelves on demons and the occult and Satan, but you can hardly find a book on angels. And when I went to try to find some books on angels, I only found some pamphlets and two or three small books. And so I decided to try to do a book in depth on the subject of angels. And I've asked myself, are angels in existence today? Do they, do they affect our lives? Do they appear to people today? My wife was born and reared in China, and she told me the story about a woman who was a very ignorant Chinese woman. And she could not read, she could not write, and she lived in that part of the country where they had many tigers. And she had once heard a missionary talk about Jesus Christ. And that's all. She hadn't accepted Christ. And a tiger jumped out from the jungle and grabbed her daughter and was scratching and tearing her daughter and her daughter would be killed within a few seconds. And then the tiger jumped on her and in terror, she screamed out and said, Lord Jesus, save me. And the tiger became like a little lamb. 
and walked slowly away. Did God send an angel? There's a great Philadelphia neurologist that the Reader's Digest wrote up some time ago. And it was a cold, snowy night, and a knock came at his door, and there stood a little girl. And this little 11-year-old girl said, My mother is very sick. Would you come and call on her? He didn't make house calls. He was a famous neurosurgeon. But he saw the look in the face of the little girl, and so he got up and put on his clothes and went with the little girl and found the mother and found that the mother indeed was very sick and would probably die during the night if she didn't have medical attention. And so he called the hospital and got an ambulance. And he said to the woman while waiting for the ambulance, your little girl came to my house and got me and she's a lovely little girl. And the mother said, what little girl? My daughter died a month ago. Her clothes are in the closet. And so he went over there and opened the door of the closet and there he saw the very dress and the shoes and the socks and everything that the same girl had come to his door and knocked. Had God sent an angel to save that woman? And many stories like that. John Patton, the great missionary to the New Hebrides. The people had surrounded the house one night and they were going to kill him. And they had their ammunition and their guns and their spears and all the weapons that they could find. And they were shooting and throwing. And suddenly they stopped and they ran. And a few months later, the chief was converted who had led the attack on the Patons. And they spoke about that incident. And the chief said, where did you get all those soldiers that night? And John Payton said, we didn't have any soldiers. Oh, yes, he said, we saw the soldiers surrounding the house with their guns. And we were afraid and terrified at the number of those soldiers. Had God sent his angels to protect his missionaries? I remember when Eddie Rickenbacker, during World War II, former president of Eastern Airlines and the greatest aviator, I suppose, in American history, when Eddie Rickenbacker was out on that life raft for so many days in the Pacific and they were dying and they prayed and a seagull came from nowhere and landed on top of their head and he reached up and grabbed it and they ate that seagull and that kept them alive long enough. I remember Eddie Rickenbacker one day telling me, Billy, I believe God sent an angel to keep us alive. Is that true? Did God do that? I'm not saying that these were angelic beings that came on those occasions. I don't know. But I do know that this book teaches from Genesis to Revelation the existence of angels. A year ago I preached a sermon on angels and I received thousands of letters from people telling me experiences like that and I received thousands of letters from people asking me for a copy of that sermon indicating not many sermons are preached on it. Now we're having, I call the book God's Secret Agents, Angels, God's Secret Agents. And we're having right now, I have been having the investigations of the CIA and the FBI 
And I suppose all of that needs to be done, but I've often wondered why we don't have investigations of secret agents from foreign countries that are in our country right now. We don't seem to be bothered about them. We're only bothered about our own. Now, we're on the threshold of a political year, and I don't want to get involved in politics. But there are secret agents here. The devil has his agents here, and God has his agents. But all we're hearing about now are the devil's agents. But God has agents that I want to talk about. They're having a conference, or have been having a conference, on the occult down in Bogota. And then there's Arthur Lyons' book, The Second Coming, Satanism in America. And the number of Americans that believed in the personal devil this past year has risen by 12%, according to the latest poll I saw. And a great interest in books like Chariots of the Gods, which theorize that in prehistory, astronauts from distant stars visited Earth in spaceships. Now, a generation ago, if you talk like that, people would think you were crazy. Especially if you talked about it at a university. But if you go to the average university bookstore, you'll find all kinds of books on the occult and ESP and astrology and all the rest of it. And the subjective science of parapsychology is one of the fastest growing fields of academic research in our universities today. The powers of the evil world system seem to be preying on the minds of people who are already disturbed and frustrated in our generation. And the frustration and the depression that so many people are going through is satanic and it's supernatural. And we're involved in a supernatural war and a supernatural battle is taking place on this planet right now. But I think it's time for those of us that call ourselves Christians to major on the positives of the Christian faith. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I pick up the newspapers and I turn to the entertainment page and what do I see? Horror, sadism, erotic sex, every type of thing to frighten you, to cause you to lust everything materialistic, very little spiritual. But the Bible teaches that in the midst of that kind of world, which Jesus called an evil and adulterous generation, we're not to be fearful, we're not to be distressed, we're not to be deceived, we're not to be intimidated, we're not to get down in the dumps. We're not to be depressed. Why? Because as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not alone in the world. The Holy Spirit is here in mighty power to help you, to guide you, to lead you, to fill you, to anoint you, to guide you, to teach you. But in addition to the Holy Spirit, there are thousands and millions of angels at God's disposal to send to help you in time of need. Yes, a hundred and eight times in the Old Testament, a hundred and sixty-five times in the New Testament. The Jewish 
faith believes in angels, the Catholic faith, the Protestant faith, the Old and the New Testament all teach the existence of angels. An angel appeared to Abraham, to Jacob, to Isaac, to the great patriarchs, angels appeared. And the angels appeared all the way through the New Testament. And people ask, what are the angels? Well, first, they are created beings. They are created by God. The Bible says, for he commanded and they were created in Psalm 148.5. God alone is uncreated and eternal. Now that boggles the mind. I cannot understand how that God had no beginning and God has no end. But God created the angels and it seems in the Bible that he created them separately and individually and not just as a group. I don't have time to go into that tonight. But only God has total immortality. And then the Bible says they're spirits. You don't see them. Now many times they appear in human form. They take on human form to come and speak to someone like Mary or like Zechariah or like the shepherds out on the fields outside of Bethlehem that night, that first Christmas night. They're spirits, are they not all ministering spirits, the writer of Hebrews says. Be not forgetful, the writer of Hebrews says, to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Some of you have probably entertained an angel and didn't know it. The Bible says they have no bodies, but sometimes they take on the form of a body. And then the Bible says they have superhuman intelligence and power. Now they don't know everything because the Bible speaks about things that angels desire to look into. The Bible teaches that the angels do not know the day nor the hour of the second coming of Jesus Christ. But the great characteristic of the angels is that they are obedient to God and they have tremendous power. 2 Peter 2.11 says, Angels through greater power than men in might and power. And in Revelation it tells of the time when they're going to lay hold on the devil himself and bind him and cast him into the lake of fire and will be finished with the devil. The Bible talks about in 2 Thessalonians the angels of power. Then the Bible says there are a great multitude of angels. How many angels? The Bible says they're without number. It says in Daniel 7, thousands of thousands ministered unto him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Figure up, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before God. And in Revelation 5 it says, I heard the voice of many angels and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. Then he added this, and thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands more. And remember, in one night, one angel slew 185,000 Assyrians who were attacking ancient Israel. And they are 
without number. And the Bible says they have various ranks. Colossians 1, they're thrones and dominions and principalities and powers. The Bible talks about the voice of the archangel, and the archangel is Michael, and Michael is the only one in the Bible called the archangel. That seems to indicate that he is in charge of all the angels under the direction of God. They are highly organized. And Gabriel is the only other angel that is named, and he seems to be a messenger of mercy and promise wherever he went whereas Michael seems to be the messenger of law and judgment. And then what is the moral character of these angels? What kind of beings are they? The Bible says they're holy. Bev was going to sing if we had time. Holy, holy, holy is what the angels sing. Yes, they were created holy. The holy angels, says Mark. But some of the angels sinned against God. And here we come to one of the greatest mysteries in the universe. There's not a professor at this university that can answer this question. Where did evil come from? Why do men lust and hate and have greed? Unless you answer it out of this book, the Bible. The Bible tells us. The Bible teaches that somewhere in the mysterious past, which the Apostle Paul called the mystery of iniquity, a rebellion took place in heaven. And Lucifer, son of the morning, probably another archangel equal with Michael, led a revolt against God, and about a third of the angels revolted with him. And they were thrown out of heaven, and they landed on this planet called the earth. It sounds incredible, but it doesn't sound half as incredible as some of the motion pictures we sit and bite our fingernails off watching, or some of the books that we are coming out today. It doesn't sound half as incredible as if you would tell my, even my father who died about 12 years ago that men walked on the moon. If you had told my grandfather that men would someday walk on the moon, I'm sure that they would have committed you to the asylum. But the Bible teaches the existence of these beings. And Lucifer, son of the morning, became the devil, the dragon, on this planet. And he's determined to wrest control, permanent control of this planet and us as a human race from God. And he has at his beck and call thousands of demons, and I believe that demons today are at work. The demon of drugs. There's a very close connection between demonology and drugs. We don't have time to go into that tonight. All kinds of demons. The demon of war, the demon of hate, the demon of jealousy, the demon of lust the demon of prejudice. There are supernatural forces at work stirring the whole world up. Have you ever seen so much violence as there is today in the world? You know, Lubbock is a marvelous city to live in. After going to the great cities of the world to come here to this marvelous city that you live in, and yet 
I was talking to some of your newspaper editors today and they were telling me some of the growing crime statistics in this city and it's almost frightening. It's worldwide. The kidnappings. The throwing of bombs. The fighting from Northern Ireland to Portugal to Timor, from one end of the world to the other. It seems the whole world is in a great upheaval. And let me tell you, the devil is right in the middle of it, stirring it up. But you see, the devil is not all-powerful. Because the Bible teaches there's coming a day that the angelic host, the armies of God, are going to come back to this earth and they're going to destroy the devil and his demons and all their work. And we'll be rid of sin and we'll be rid of death because death is a judgment upon man. You see, the devil entered the Garden of Eden. We don't know how. We don't know why. God hasn't seen fit to reveal it to us. We get little glimpses of it in the Bible. In the 14th chapter of Isaiah and the 28th of Ezekiel, we get glimpses of how it all started, but we're not told. For some reason, God hasn't seen fit to reveal it to us. Just like God hasn't revealed to us all about creation. It just says in the beginning, God. God doesn't try to prove his own existence. There are some things we won't know till we get on the other side into eternity. But we know that evil exists. We know there's a devil. We know there are demons. Where they came from and how they operate, we do not know all about it. But we know that we wrestle against, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We wrestle against a world of darkness. Now what do the angels do? The Bible says they worship God. Secondly, the Bible says they rejoice in God's works. Secondly, it says that they were with Christ in all the important events of his life, at his birth, as we've already seen. They ministered to Jesus after the temptation. They rolled a stone away and announced he is not here. He is risen. They were the ones that announced the resurrection, the conquering of death, hell, and the grave. There was only one time they were not with Jesus. They were not with him at the cross. Why? Twelve legions of them drew their swords. Seventy-two thousand angels ready to come and rescue him. And Jesus said, no, put your swords away. Stay where you are. I love these people. These people are doomed. The human race is damned. The human race is under the sentence of death and hell and judgment. And the only way the human race can be saved is, to, is for me to take their judgment and their hell and their death on this cross. And when Jesus Christ died, a mysterious thing happened that we cannot possibly fathom its depths. God took your sins and my sins and my death and my hell and laid it on Jesus Christ. And he became the sin bearer for us. So that now God says, I forgive you. I forgive you. I can forgive you because of what Christ did on the cross. No, the angels were not there to rescue him. Jesus died alone for you. Publicly. 
hanging there naked. Hundreds of people jeering. I'm asking you to come forward and receive Jesus Christ tonight publicly, openly, before a very sympathetic audience that is praying that you will come and let him be the Lord and the master and savior of your life. Yes? And they also, the Bible teaches, that angels execute God's will. They do God's bidding. They can even influence the affairs of great nations. And I believe the great conflict that has been going on in this country for a long time is a great spiritual conflict between the forces of darkness and the forces of light, between the demons and the angels, an unseen battle that's taking place, and you and I are in the middle of it, and we have to choose sides, and I'm asking you tonight to choose sides. You know, Jesus said something very strange in the eighth chapter of John. He said, you are of your father the devil. What did he mean by that? Jesus saw only two classes of people, the saved and the lost, those that were going to heaven and those that are going to hell. And he said, you must make a choice. It's either me, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me, or you choose the devil and go his way and listen to all his lies. He tells you to put it off. He tells you that his way is the best way. And he's whispering his lies. The Bible said, Jesus said, he's the father of all lies. And Paul called him the big lie, the lie. He's the great deceiver, according to the scriptures. Yes, the angels all the way through the New Testament, they helped Peter get out of jail. And they were with Paul when he was out there that night in the deep. For there stood by me this night an angel of the Lord and said to me, Fear not, Paul. The Bible teaches that they are near in affliction and temptation and disappointment. The moment you die, you are taken by the hand, by an angel, and escorted into the presence of God. You don't die alone. That's why it's so wonderful when a Christian dies. When a true believer dies, because you go into the presence of Christ escorted by an angel. That's what Jesus taught in the 10th chapter, or the 16th chapter of Luke's gospel. Read it for yourself. I have a whole chapter in my book on the subject. And then the Bible teaches that they execute the judgments of God. They were the ones that came and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, and they are going to be the executors of God's judgment. But there's one other thing that Jesus taught about angels that I want to leave with you tonight. He taught that when one soul repents of sin, when one person turns to Christ, the Bible says the mighty angels of God rejoice. Think of it, up in heaven, they shout for joy over one person just one person coming to Christ. When you come down here and stand on this field tonight and make your decision for Jesus Christ, there's going to be rejoicing in heaven. The angels are going to shout for joy that another person 
has entered the kingdom of God. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? 